Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're on Team Human, Conscious Intervention in the Machine. Our guest today, YouTube phenomenon, Netflix comedian, and writer-director of the new movie Eighth Grade, my friend Bo Burnham. Yeah, my hope was to try to portray, I think, a relationship with the internet descriptively and subjectively rather than objectively and with commentary. Bo and I will be considering the other positive side of social media, how it still gives young people a way to test and share social strategies, to express themselves, not just as they want to be seen, but as practice for the real world. It's time to intervene on behalf of humans. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you're on Team Human. For those of you just arriving, Team Human is a weekly podcast where we challenge the operating systems driving our society, reveal their embedded codes, and share strategies for sustainable living, economic justice, and preservation of the quirky nooks and crannies that make people so much more than mere programs. I'm asking for your support, which you can offer by going to teamhuman.fm and clicking on support. For the next 30 days, the whole month of August, anyone who supports at the level of five bucks a month will get a signed copy of Team Human, the book, the moment it's published. Everyone also gets access to our new forums, premium content, live events, like last week's Evening in New York with Parker Posey, or last month's Team Human Live in London with Pat Cadigan and Rupert Sheldrake. Supporters get the ability to ask questions in audio on the show, or even create topics for monologues. Team Human is where the conscious beats the automatic. It's an intervention by people on behalf of people. Every week, I engage with people who are standing up for the human race, people who understand we have to stop optimizing human lives for economic growth and start optimizing the economy for human prosperity, people who want to stop programming humans with technology and start programming technology for human beings. It's artists 
activists, technologists, farmers, educators, politicians, teachers, visionaries, environmentalists, economists, and so many more, including hopefully you. We are modeling a new style of conversation and engagement, live, face-to-face encounters where we work together to reach new conclusions, discover new approaches, and forge new alliances. Team Human is different. This is real-time cultural alchemy, confronting the most challenging issues of our time. But mostly, you get the chance to take part in this effort to stand up for people in a world hell-bent on making us obsolete, to prove that human beings are not the problem. We are the solution. In the real world, we humans have the home field advantage, so let's use it. Come to teamhuman.fm and click on support. Join Team Human and find the others. And now, playing for Team Human, comedian and filmmaker Bo Burnham, whose new movie, Eighth Grade, opens this week at theaters everywhere. I want to start with the movie, so we definitely have time for the movie because it's the point. Yeah, well, you know, to help it's all, I'm just the movie happy to too. be here, truly. Yeah, but but all right. So, I mean, I did see a couple of shout outs from you, like in Times interviews. I'm yes. like, oh, look at this, this cool comedian guy, postmodern thing. Talking yeah. About. And uh, I didn't. I don't know if I tried to reach out or not. But then uh, when the eighth grade movie came out, I was like, yeah. oh, this must be. This I, I must I must talk to this person. I'm going to play a little bit of the uh, opening of the movie. In mm. the, I, I recorded it. I don't know if it's legal, whatever. I just recorded yes, audio yes, 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 off yes, the thing. Good. Just the opening speech of, uh, of, of Kayla. Hey, guys. Uh, it's Kayla back with another video. Okay, um, so first things first is um, I haven't been getting, like, a lot of views or whatever on my videos. So if you guys could share, like, with your friends and stuff, I would really, really appreciate it. Uh, okay, so, the topic of today's video is being yourself, and it's like, you know, well, aren't I always being myself? Uh, and, like, yeah, for sure, um, but, uh, sorry, I, sorry, I'm, I'm reading these off paper, <laughs> um, okay, but it's like, being yourself is like, not changing yourself to impress someone else, you know, cause like, um, like, uh, you could be the most popular kid at school or, like, you know, like, um, have, like, the hottest boyfriend or whatever. Um, but, like, what's the point if you're not being yourself? And it's, like, being yourself can be hard. And, like, the hard part about being yourself is that it's not always easy because, you know, like, people can, like, um, like make fun of you. And I was listening to it and thinking, oh, my God, this is... Danielle, this girl Danny, at the mm. end. I don't know if you saw this documentary I made called Generation mm. Like. No, no, no. For Frontline. Mm. And it ends with this girl who's a probably a freshman in high school yeah. who's doing YouTube to try to get yeah. YouTube videos just to get famous. Yeah, right. And the sad part of her thing was her mother realized or with her Instagram pictures, if she shows her body, yeah. her mother realized the girl gets more likes for some reason. Right, of course. Finally asking the mother, who do you think's looking? Do you ever think about that? Yeah, and, yeah. But but this girl, you know, and she's puts she has these things called Danny's do's and don'ts, and she puts little cards mm. up on the wall mm. of things kids can do, and she's advising kids. And it's like the end of my movie as kind of this cautionary tale of look at where social media goes. Right, and then right. your movie opens 
with this girl sounding semi-coherent, semi-incoherent, like, 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 all that. And it starts out, I'm thinking, oh, man, you're going to take down, you know, the girl from my thing. But the movie ultimately opens, it, it, it becomes the opposite. It becomes, oh, no, this is Danny's side of the story. This is Kayla's side of the story. Right. Yeah, I mean that was that the initial impulse for the movie was watching young kids express themselves online and specifically like sorting the videos by upload date. So I was seeing, you know, the kids that had 10 subscribers, the the ones that were imitating the people that were being seen because as someone that was on the internet that went viral on the internet, we tend to only talk about people to get attention on the internet which are actually the least interesting people. And the majority of people on the internet are expressing themselves to no one and expressing themselves to something more like God, where it's just this sort of vacuum that they don't know if it's there or not. They're calling right. out because we it. never even see her upload the thing. So there's even some question until you find out that she's got a few followers. Yes, is she even uploading them at all, or is she just making? Right, and is there a difference? Yeah, <laughs> well, well, that's the question. And it really was watching these kids and seeing these kids speak and going like. If this were a performance in the movie, it would be incredible because when when you'd watch the normal kids, you know, with ten or twelve views talk about their life, 10 things were going on at once. You saw them speaking. You saw them uh, imitating the reference speeches they had in their heads of people they had seen culturally. You saw them trying to close the gap. You saw them reacting to their failure to close the gap. You saw them getting bored. You saw them, you know, starting over again and reasserting themselves. Um, And it was just also beautiful and transparent and layered and so different than the sort of traditional voiceover of a teen movie where it's just someone completely in control of their own narrative. I I really wanted to talk about someone failing to articulate themselves, the sort of gulf between the idea that you have in your head and what comes out of your face. And like that is just so exaggerated and, and layered by the medium that these kids engage in. And I do think that the performed version of yourself is not necessarily false or or not that it's not false is that like I do think who you hope to be can can be a more vulnerable truth than who you wish who you are afraid you may be. I think people are more quick to admit their deepest fears than their deepest hopes. Well, and because everybody's performing in these spaces, there's a kind of honesty, okay, this is how I do it. And this yes, is how you yeah, do yeah, it. yeah, exactly, exactly. It's Right, totally. It's that a non-actor thing. Yeah, there's yeah, there's an there's an honest version of performance, maybe, or there's just something at that age where the this sort of mechanism of how you try to present yourself is so transparent, and and you know who you wish to be, who you are, and how you present that. Those the the, right. the clear different parts of that are so visible, and then as we get older. We kind of smooth it over and make it look well, like one thing. Well, we pick one, but it's like at, at 13, 14 years old, you're still very much, even in college, I think, you're picking what's the character you're going to play in this life. Mm, yeah, so right, right. So here, it's, there's a sense of, I'm going to try on this attitude or that mm, attitude. Mm. But Kayla in your movie, she's so real. I mean, she, because in the very first video, she admits, well, I'm using these notes. Hold on a second. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. She doesn't cut that out. Yeah, she's, yeah. That's right, part of it. Yeah, and, and that is what... Kids do. I mean, a lot of kids sort of. If you see a lot of vlogs, they the the, the uploaded video will be jump cuts. You know, there'll right. be jump cuts, and they'll cut out all the sort of white noise. That is the most interesting thing. Yeah, which it does actually give you insight into what they're actually doing. Um, but yeah. Well, let's even. I mean, in your uh, uh, I hate to jump like this, but in uh, uh, Make Happy, you show yourself going back to the stool with the little 
uh, with the little yeah, book yeah, there. Yeah. As if, I mean, this is a show, you know the show backwards. Everything is timed. What are you going and looking at that little book? Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. As if you need the script. But maybe you did just to make sure I'm going to the right part. No, it was a weird thing where it was like part of the weird version of honesty that I was trying to do in that show was being transparent about the performance of it or the uh-huh. structure of it. Like, it's always as a comedian, you're supposed to be honest on stage. And for me, like, I couldn't be honest about laundry. In order to get honest about that, I would have to go through being honest about what the form is, which right. is so complicated and strange to me. So I never got to the laundry part. That's sort of the joke. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just, like, I can't get over the fact that you're all facing this way and I'm standing on stage. And this sort of late realization that I had in my stand-up, which was I thought that sort of my anxiety as a performer was grounded in my specific experience as a 24-year-old male comedian with an audience and then 14-year-old girls would come up to me after the show and say, I feel exactly like you do. And I'd go, what? You know, so I realized that the sort of pressures I had as a D-list celebrity had been democratized to an entire generation. Now everyone feels like they can have their own brand and everyone feels like they have to present themselves. And it was like a relief and oblivion to realize I was not alone, but I was also very not unique as well. Right. I mean, but that's an interesting thing because it's like you could say – from the outside or someone just coming by, oh, this guy's made it. He's got a million of these followers and he's got a show here and a movie there. But on the other hand, I mean, not it's like not, not like you're like Trump or something, but it's like <laughs> you're of the people. And I mean, it's bottom up. You're not part of, it's not like, you know, Paramount decided this is the next shiny yes. little thing. You're of the net. You're mm. along, you're, you're still on the long tail with the rest of us. Yes. And, well, well and that's what's so, that's what blows my mind about like the, celebrity or whatever culture, it feels like a grassroots movement now. It really does. Like the sort of, at certain point we sort of felt like, okay, celebrity is sort of like Mount Olympus and we're all down here. And our solution to that, rather than to obliterate Mount Olympus, was to be like, now let's just give everybody access to it. And you see kids online that like are self-made out of their bedroom imposing on themselves the standards of Hollywood and higher culture for Mm -hmm. no reason when they really don't have to. It's really weird to watch it to watch a little show a 15-year-old kid is making in their bedroom and go like, why are you adhering to the standards of NBC? Right. It, appear, it appears like you are, you know? Uh, but that yeah. makes, I mean, your character's a little different than the one most of the ones I see in that she's actually trying to express who she is and genuinely help other kids who are in the same situation. Yeah, my hope was to try to portray, I think, a relationship with the internet descriptively and subjectively rather than objectively and with commentary. Right. I say, you're one of the few people in the world I actually will listen to commentary from <laughs> on the internet. Everybody else, I feel like, you know, we just actually haven't even gathered the raw data to have the conversation yet. And when I feel yeah. like art and thing is wagging its finger at me, I go like, this stuff is changing way too rapidly to feel like anyone has a helicopter view of it. And if they do, that means they're not participating. Yeah, but most of them don't, most of them, I mean, this isn't, sounds so mean, but most of them are making the commentary they are for the likes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, 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 they are. No, no, exactly. And that's what I actually feel like. uh, When I feel like I, that's, that's my issue with a lot of like sort of ironic dystopian or satire stuff about the internet is to me it's it's talking about the internet playing the internet's game where the internet right. rewards irony and meta commentary and sort of really quick thinking fast f- sexy jump cut loud stuff 
And to me, I wanted to, in the movie, have a conversation or a portrayal of the internet that sort of is, you know, operating on the level that the internet doesn't select for, which is something maybe a little more quiet and a little more long form. For me, the, the internet is self-satirizing, so I don't know how you ever get ahead of it. How can right. you be satirical of a Geico commercial? You know what I mean? Right. When, when, when Taco Bell and, and is being as satirical as any show in Adult Swim, it feels sort of like the game is over a little to me. Yeah. I mean, and they started that way back when. I remember with uh, some basketball player was on, like, Taco Bell, or he's talking, and they're showing, like, ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching in the corner how much he's made. For yeah, each. yeah, of and course. It's like, it's okay, like, all so right. because you're revealing how much money you're making with this commercial, yeah. now it's true and authentic again. Yeah, and, like, totally <laughs> not. And, like, no, you can't just be a self-aware asshole. You have to actually stop being an asshole. Right. But they do insulate themselves from satire by being so mad. Yes, of course. You can't get ahead of them. Yeah, of course. And it's like, yeah, the people that, you know, grew up watching Saturday Night Live and The Simpsons are now in advertising agencies working for Allstate or whatever the heck. So it's like, how do you do this? Like, how, how do you... Well, then you What's become. The antidote for it? Well, then, like your movie or hopefully this podcast, you go human. You go yeah. the other way. Yeah, I mean, exactly. the, the one of the most startling things to me in this movie, it, it just felt the most uh, uh, kind of realized as a director, and that's the thing that kind of freaked me out. But it's another conversation because I went to all these film schools and did all the <laughs> stuff I was supposed to do, and then you just did stuff. So, like the difference between Kayla's online world. And the real world, the way the sound changes and the picture changes, you really, it's like, there's such an in-world, out-world yeah. sense in there. It was funny. We had to, we actually had to, you know, the video, her videos were, we did record them on a MacBook Air, you know, but we actually had to down-res the footage because like 1080 actually looks a little too sharp to be a little real. Mm -hmm. So like in order to get this sort of just like textural difference, I actually had to, I was like, oh man, these cameras are getting a little too good. But even when she's like from the, from with her ear pods on and you're on the screen yeah. watching what she's watching, you're just in the in that net bubble and the the sense when she pulls those earplugs out to then like talk to her dad at the at the table mm. it's it's like you're in inception like you're in a Christopher Nolan movie like having yeah, to yeah, go yeah. From right, the inner right, world right, to right, right. The yeah summer. yeah well yeah there's a little yeah there's some and visually the idea was sort of like in the real world, you know, wider lenses than you normally would try to exaggerate the depth mm -hmm. of it. Like that felt like that, you know, right. we should exaggerate the depth of the real world. One, because you're a kid and actually like hallways do feel longer when you're little. Right. But, and ceilings do feel higher. But also, yeah, just to constantly play against the flatness of the screen. Right. Well, because kids are spending so much time in 2D. Yeah, that that is the added dimension. That like that is what makes the real world so, I mean, and... VR is actually going to like now make the Z dimension also yeah. exist online, which is really VR was like very terrifying for me when I when I used it for the first time because um, it felt like oh this is the first art form where I you actually can't believe it if you you're, you're not <laughs> able to not believe it if right. you try like you know you're reading a book at any point I can go like okay Douglas like realize yeah. you, realize you're reading a book you can do that like realize you're watching a movie sure but VR I can g never go like Getting realize there are two separate images in your left and right eye and you're actually not you can no. like it, it actually you is, get existenced you know into this thing that yeah it gets unplugged and you're in there yeah it's impossible like it's actually impossible to take yourself out of it and the other weird thing they're finding is um your the memories that you have. Mm. You, your your memory system can't tag VR memories differently from real life memories. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> so crazy. It's all one history. Yeah, it's too much. Yeah, it's kind of strange because they did these experiments with kids where um, they had some of them went swimming with whales and some of them did VR swimming with whales, and then like two months later, 
the kids, they, the little, little kids. Like yeah, yeah, right, right, right. But they didn't know whether they had really done it or not. They all thought they had done it. Yeah, that's, that's that seems <laughs> that's dangerous. Where it gets, yeah, but that's, I mean, that's beyond, that's like the sci-fi place. And, you know, you don't go there so much as you look at, it's funny, I mean, it feels like you're doing the same issues that I've covered over the last, God knows, 20 years or something, except, you know, in a certain way, because you're looking at them as as a human who's who's survived these dynamics, mm -hmm. they don't seem as horrific as they did. So I did this movie way back when called Gen called called uh, Merchants of Cool, mm -hmm. where I talk about the feedback loop between kids and MTV and how it becomes so vicious that you can't tell what's feeding into what. Right. But then you've got the scenes where she's both instructing her viewers how to sort of you know how to be how to cope with things at the same time she's like listening to people on how to put on makeup yeah so she's both feeding into information into the system but getting her own information from it yes yes and then you sort of start to wonder what's what's coming from what even the time shifting you do where she's doing a monologue that we know relates to her either uh, trying to give herself enough confidence to go out and to go to a party, or is she talking about having just been at the party? Yes, yes, yeah, and right. And we don't right, really right. know which. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's both. The world's feeding into it, and it's feeding into the world. And yeah, it's it's more that like I, not that I'm, I don't think I'm any less cynical or or angry at the culture itself. It was just trying to do a really truly subjective view of the thing from the kid's perspective without any judgment because she just can't have judgment because she doesn't know any different. And, and and I do have a relationship with the internet personally, but trying to portray to me yeah, the weird sort of disassociative sense of how you go through the world with this thing and how you float b behind yourself much like a camera mm -hmm. going through a situation. Not only are you present in the situation, you are watching yourself live the situation. You're watching other people watch you. You're watching other people watch watch you watch them watch you, you know? And that's that's very strange. And, you know, when I read Present Shock, it felt like a real, like the first real description of, of something that I hadn't been able to articulate. And what was so important to me about that is that it was a real subjective experience, a right. subjective description of what was going on, rather than like, I can't believe the sort of conversations we're having about the internet are like cyberbullying and Russia. And it's like, well, there's something a little subtler going on. Yeah. You know, there's actually something like interior, something that's actually changing our own view of ourselves, our relationship between our head and our heart and our stomach. Mm -hmm. um, and like before we start processing giant social trends, you know, I, I, I actually, I think the internet like radicalizes our own relationship to ourself way more than our relationship to other people. You know, the, right. the, 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 or, or maybe, maybe well, the same, to the same degree. But. Certainly the, I mean, did you, I mean, this is all that McLuhan kind of stuff about media, but we've moved from a television media environment to a digital media environment mm. and they're profoundly different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just more of the same. Yeah. Yeah. You know, digital. It's the, not just a digital super highway. You know what I mean? I'm no. just saying, you know, everyone thinks it's just like a digitalized oh, library. Faster. It's Yay, like, no, no, yeah, it's something like, it's a paradigm shift, obviously. It is. So at every, for me, the weird thing I've been thinking about lately is how it all happens on memory. All processing is in memory. And that's why our whole society has become about, about memory. It's like, who were we? Make America great again. When yeah. was Britain its own thing? Memory and boundaries and everything mm. being discreet. You know, TV was so... It was so fun because it just mushed everything together. One world, one right, thing. Right, right. Well, it maybe it is something to do with the need for 
in the way that you described the sort of narrative collapse of things in present shock, that there is some need to now huge, we, we really do spend so much time building narrative for ourselves, you know, where, and, and I sense with, with people that like, there is a real pressure of viewing my life as something like a movie. What am I, how good of a character am I in my own life? Right. And that's part of Kayla's, like in the movie, part of her struggle is the struggle she feels like the movie of my life sucks and I'm trying really, really hard to tell my story as I'm living it and I don't think it's that good. And the idea of the movie is your struggle to tell that is good, is a good story. Your right. failure to live up to the cultural standard of what a active agent needs to be in a story is your story and is right. compelling. And it's funny because her father, although you never can believe your parents, but the father is basically saying, I'm watching your life in the real world yeah, the and you are so cool. Yeah, 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 exactly, <laughs> exactly. I have the actual context for you and it's great. It's like very good. Yeah. I was a kid and I know what that's like and you're doing this better than I did. Yeah, yeah, you know? right. But you can't hear it, I guess. Well, it's, I mean, I was a kid too. You can't, mm. it's your parents. You know, they're, they're making it up. But uh, nothing truly awful happens in this movie. And it got rated R. Yeah. Which is freaky. I mean, I still don't know how. I them saying they, nudes makes it R. Just them saying nudes out loud would make it R. Nudes? Nudes, which is crazy. N-U-D-E-S? As in naked? Naked, naked pictures. Oh. Them saying, like, were you sending nudes? Like that, that would make oh. it R. So, so we, it we never had a chance. It's too bad because uh, it's accurate to an eighth. So it's like, yeah, okay. Eighth grade is R because eighth grade is R. Right. You so know? eighth graders can't be exposed to their actual experience. Reality. Well, that's the thing. It's like it didn't feel like our responsibility to portray a reality we felt was appropriate for kids. It's like culture's responsibility to create a reality. Right. It's kids so funny because the R, and this is weird to me because the R changed my expectation of what was going to be in there. Right, right. So I'm waiting for the R. Yeah, so then yeah. there's this one scene where she's, you know, in the, in the backseat of a car with a high school student. And I'm thinking, oh, no, something yeah, awful yeah. is going to happen. This is the R coming. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And it doesn't. And it was like, oh, my God, no. This is just this level of understanding of our world is R. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly, yeah. But yeah, part of it, part of it too, is trying to sort of dignify the banal experience of a kid as significant to say that like things don't have to go where you think they're going to go in a movie for it to be incredibly traumatic or important or resonant for a kid. Right. And I think the drama of our lives plays out very low stakes. I think people are so non-confrontational in real life, like so less confrontational mm. than in movies. Like, I'm like, aren't all of us like in line for at the grocery store and we raise our voice at somebody and then our heart pounds for like the next 30 yeah. minutes? You know what I mean? Like the drama of our lives, I think, plays out super, super low stakes. Yeah. I mean, and in some ways, the, the loudest moment in this whole movie is when, you know, the mean girl sends a text that basically says, you know, my mom says I got to invite you to this thing, so this is me doing that. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and it was very real, but it was just like, ooh. You know, yeah, it, yeah. it was that dagger, but it, it was the accurate dagger that of, of kind of our, of our time. Yeah, and I think, like, the bullying isn't existing in the same way. Like, people, kids would love to get, like, a swirly or be shoved in a locker <laughs> again, but it really is... Um, <laughs> And this is this is your other book, Throwing Rocks at the Google Bus. I'm just going to plug you all, uh, as if people don't know. But that, like, the currency is attention for kids. Like, right. that is what's being given and withheld. And that's actually how the hierarchy is built. It's right. not off of, like, 
you're the goths and you're losers and we're cool. It's actually just like who has attention, who doesn't, and the real, the worst thing that can be um, done is being invisible and not seen, that that is the currency. And, and I guess that's, and I, of course these are timeless ideas, but like they've just been like streamlined and sort of, I, it's so it's such a yeah. pure version of that, but the, yeah, like, if she's a blood not really falls in the forest and no one hears it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't exist. Exactly. Well, it exists on a server. It's using electricity somewhere. Yeah, yeah, you know? right. So it is. Oh my gosh. So yeah. So for years, I was thinking of going back and forth on the the kids I was calling screenagers. That's what mm. I call them. And it feels like screenagers. Yeah, Love that it. was in the, the mid nineties. I, I don't. I don't like iGen iGen is very corny to me. Yeah, that's that, that Apple already. Some that. reviewers have called this movie uh, about millennials, and I'm like, it's not millennials. They think it's millennials, and I'm like, no, 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 no. no, no. Well, I'm, no I'm a millennial. Yeah, she's the next thing. The next, well, exactly. What, what, what Gen are you, Z. Gen Z? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if they are. I mean, the Gen Z keeps. I mean, because I was Gen X, so you should be. We should be back around to B or C by now. <laughs> <laughs> if I was, I don't know how much. I don't believe generational stuff anymore. But uh, but I do believe like the 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 screenagers. The, the the argument is always are, are will the digital natives be like native speakers of this or mm. are they at a disadvantage? In other words, is the father the one, the, the only one in this movie say or in our yeah. world? Are the adults the only ones who can really accurately say what's going on because they know the difference or right. are kids the only ones because they're raised in there? And I felt like you were making a screenager argument. Yeah, I would argue that. I mean, to me, the most embarrassing people right now are 30 years old. Like the most embarrassing people on the internet are 30 year olds that like are trying to reconcile the two sides and and it, it just come off incredibly embarrassingly. Right. And the kids are fluent enough in it that I actually think they give it less significance in a certain way because they just, they don't see it as this other, they don't see it as a threat. So they may be able to just process it in a little more low stakes, intuitive way in some way. I, I, I don't know. I'm encouraged by seeing them. I think they understand like the superficiality a little bit better or, or maybe they just don't like, they don't bristle at it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the whole country and the culture is completely on fire because of the internet. But that that seems to be because of adults on the internet. Yeah, you said this. Kids. You said this thing in in Make Happy. I'm gonna play it. And I feel like I was born in 1990, and I was sort of raised in America when it was a cult of self-expression, and I was just taught, you know, express myself and have things to say, and everyone will care about them. And I think everyone was taught that, and most of us found out no one gives a shit what we think. <laughs> So we flock to performers by the thousands because we're the few that have found an audience and then I'm supposed to get up here and say, follow your dreams as if this is a meritocracy. It is not, okay? I had a privileged life and I got lucky and I'm unhappy. <laughs> they say it's, it's like the me generation. It's not. It's not. The arrogance is taught or it was cultivated. It's, it's self-conscious. That's what it is. It's the... It's conscious of self. What the social media, it's just the market's answer to a generation that demanded to perform. So the market said, here, perform everything to each other all the time for no reason. It's prison. It's horrific. It is performer and audience melded together. What do we want more than to lie in our bed at the end of the day and just watch our life as a satisfied audience member. You're arguing less that social media is making kids like this than kids were raised with this need to perform and social media, you're sort of saying social media markets the answer 
to them. Well, yeah. But then becomes this prison. Yeah, well, I, I, I certainly, this like ridiculous idea that it's like a narcissistic generation where it's like, where do you think they got these values? Like, these are things, like if you watch a baby with an iPad, you realize like, oh, this thing is designed to appear to, a, to appeal to us when we yeah. literally can't even think. And like, it's just a, you know, there's entire buildings full of, you know, hundreds of employees that are that are me meant to create things that market to the base wants of ten year olds, you know. I mean, I'm just saying this stuff out loud. Obviously, I'm not uh, like ha having to explain this to you. But like, what's so crazy to me is that like, if you wanted to get m material or if you wanted to get a product to a kid when there was television, you know, you had to go through their parents, obviously, because the parent could switch off the television, right? And and because the parents have money and the parents need to buy it. But now that the actual currency is kids' attention and kids have direct access to these things without their parents' knowledge. You literally have businesses that are built on the base wants and desires of a 10 or 11-year-old, which is insane, when of course we should be catering to the needs of a 10 and 11-year-old. Right. Even so, auto commercials are to the two to five-year-old because mm -hmm. they are the Apparently, they're the ones who make a decision right, on which right. minivan they buy. But, <laughs> but at least you still have to convince the kid. For something right. like Snapchat, I'm saying, right. you know, a, a, photo, an app, a photo app that disappears after 24 hours. What do you think kids are using that for? Are we going to pretend like we don't know what this is literally designed for, which to me seems to be to disseminate child pornography amongst children. But of yourself. Yeah, but but yeah. But, and, but but they can just play dumb. It's like, of course that's what kids are using right. it for. When I talked to the eighth graders, they all and were they on Snapchat. they show pictures of their, of their uh, prepubescent parts. But, but, <laughs> and, and, but, but this stuff is disappearing so no one can be held accountable. Right. It's like, I mean, it's mind-boggling. It really is. It's really, there's such, I always say like, if you want to say the word shit on television, you have to go in front of Congress. If you want to change the neurochemistry of an entire generation, you have to be five people in a room full of nine in Silicon Valley putting your hand up. Right. And it's like, I don't know how to solve this. Like, I, I don't, it's so, th to me, the the only danger, the, the danger with the internet is not only that it's not free enough. And that's sort of the conversation yeah. we're having. You know what I mean? It's like net neutrality, it's not going to be free. I'm like, well, it also needs to, in a big way, not be as free. It, it, like that 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 the, that the safeguard to a kid watching porn online is them clicking yes on a are you eighteen right like <laughs> I mean and then you know I go to the, I go to these conferences now that like uh, digital people conferences and I have people come up to me like oh I designed the street feature on Snapchat and now I realize it was a horrible addictive thing to do and now I want to make up for it yeah it's yeah. like well how you know and then they're talking about and I feel terrible <laughs> to say it so some of them they, they they're talking about making humane technology. That's like the new term, humane technology. And I like it on a way because I like it to be humane and human. But humane tech, it sounds like... Jumbo you know, shrimp. Or free-range chickens or something. Yeah, yeah. We're raised them more humanely. It's like as long as... Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. mobs that we're manipulating to be addicted. We'll addict them in a humane yeah, way. Because yeah. <laughs> we still need to extract value from them, right? right? of course, of course. But let's do it in a less abusive yeah, th way. that's the problem is that like, of course, it's not the actual people that are a problem. Like, I, I'm not saying the actual people working in Silicon Valley are evil or anything. It just seems like the the value system is just, just not. Well, they come it's up and it's happening like so you. quick. You know, they're they're like, I mean, in some ways, you're like a startup kid in that you know you mm. you got you got into Tish, 
And you were gonna you were gonna go to the performance garage, weren't you? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. With Schechner and the experimental guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The cool stuff. But then you just started doing it instead. Yeah. But you know, so then I think of like Zook or somebody, you know, from Facebook. He's like at Harvard, and it's like, oh, screw this. I'm just gonna go yeah, yeah. start my company. Or all the kids I know, so they leave like before their before the myelin sheaths have even formed around <laughs> their neocortex. Yeah. They're out there. Yeah. And instead changing of, the world, right? Yeah. And taking instead of taking advice from some nice old professor at Columbia or wherever they were, now they're taking advice from some Silicon Valley venture fund guy in a sweater, who's saying this is the way you've got to hit a home run to do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they right, abandon right. their dream and right. do this. And once you hit the home run, then you can do the thing you right. always wanted, and then the home run itself boxes them into a, right. a way of being. Because the home run it was this horrid destruction of human culture <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, an addictive technology or behavioral modification that, you know, caused all this damage. I mean, it's tricky, but you, I hate the word like this, you scaled. I mean, in, in some ways you are, what you've done is the, the happy side of the YouTube phenomenon or the Facebook phenomenon. It's like, well, this is what was supposed to happen. A creative person comes in and does things and yeah, I mean, well, that, that's nice. Yeah, it, w it was a struggle at every single turn. I had to resist everything the thing was telling me to do, you know, which is like, you know, I put out a comedy special every two years. I would get 10 tweets a day. Are you dead? What happened to you? Are you, you know what I mean? Like to disappear, th that's the problem. Right. The creative process means to disappear and work on something and not to give a little bit of yourself every day. You I mean, think for you breathe, you breathe things. in, you breathe out. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and like, it was really hard to not want to put a little bit of something out every day. Right. Um, and that's really, really tough. It's like, and I, t I talk to, you know, young kids a lot about, you know, that are wanting to get into this and get in the creative field. And it's like, yeah, the difference between, you know, conceiving something, having the idea, making it, writing it, putting it out, getting feedback, revising it has condensed to like a point, you know, and now before we even had the idea, we're testing it out and it's, you know, and it's, and it's, uh, that's, that's really hard. There's a real assault on the creative process where it, it works really well for you know, 24 hour news cycle or someone that wants some to do reality a sort of daily, TV or, or I'm saying there's some, yeah. there's some people that are built for that. There's some great sort of daily commentators that should have right. that. But if you look at YouTube, like it is all that it is all of the moment, right. instant commentary, aging like milk, you know? Um, and so for, for people that were more or more interested in, in longer form things that take some time, it's really, it's, you have to resist a lot of, uh, impulses to, to, because it's very scary to think, oh, my God, I'm dying. I'm Everyone's forgetting me. Right. Um, and that can no happen any in 48 hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right, yes. <laughs> well, because it's like the chickens pecking the thing and want the seed. So mm. they come back to your thing and there's nothing new on the channel. Mm -mm. Yeah, of course. And I just had to, like, sit back and think, like, you know that good stuff will will be seen or whatever. And well, you also can't, you can't surrender to the rate that the market wants you to churn out stuff. Right. And it's crazy to think that like that's that that's that's that thing operating at the artistic level and then it operates on the personal level, which is just so crazy to me. And that's the, the conversation that you know you've had and but I just can't believe we're not having which is like for me and all these stupid you all you you have much better explanations and metaphors than I do. But my metaphor is always like you know, took an hour to get to work in a horse and buggy, you know, and then we made a car and we can get there in 30 minutes. Great. 
Make it more efficient. Like clean energy, great. You can do it with half the energy, good. Should that logic be applied to our social lives? Should it be applied to our emotions? There's like no proof that like you can talk to 10 people. Now you can talk to 100. You can have three emotions in a day. Now you can have 3,000. Like – Right. That, that logic being and if you uti- increase your utility value somehow, but that increasing the utility value on that end decreases it on some other end. So yeah, mm. we can get to work faster with the car, but you know most Americans work one full day a week just to pay for that car. Right, right, <laughs> so right, 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 right. You've externalized some expense to somebody else. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So is it more efficient? So fast food. Is fast food faster? Well, it's faster for us, but who's paying for the roads yes, and the yes, cars yes, and the yes. freezing and the, you know, right. the little Argentinian children <laughs> yes, killing yes. cows or whatever to make You're it? Harvesting those fake sesame seeds. <laughs> 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 crushing, crushing their children's tears into small yeah. sesame seeds. Well, it's true. Even the smartphone, you know, we all know they're sending the kids into caves in Africa to get the mm. rare earth metals to make those things. Mm, mm. So it's like... I mean, this whole idea of this sort of jobless, efficient future that we're moving into, it's like, it's actually less efficient, more polluting. Yeah. We, we could employ a whole lot more people and do things more humanely. So you can know? you answer, why do you seem to have such effervescent joy when describing all of these things? <laughs> <laughs> Where does that come from? <laughs> Life is pain and suffering. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I wonder where well, that comes it's from. It's the same as you, though. It's the same as you. I, was, I mean, but, you know, with you, with you, you speak directly in your work, in your, in your stand-up anyway, about the sort of the, the tension between wanting to entertain the people who've come and paid, they work hard, they deserve to laugh, yes. and your, your real sense that in some ways there's nothing to laugh about. Yes, and that probably, like, the very thing I'm doing is the problem, which is, like... Well, is it, though? Is cathar- I mean, if it, you know, Plato mm. would say, yeah, there's no place for comedy because we've got to have the Republican. If you give people catharsis, then they're not going to go out in the street and break things. If we were in sh- short supply of comedy and catharsis, I would say, <laughs> you're right, it's totally needed. It just feels like it's everything. All there is is commentary on the thing. All there is is spin. It's, right. like, so... It's basically the way Trump is sort of being... Like the Showtime cartoon on Trump. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? You, you're making a cartoon about Trump? How, how is that going to work? Like all these comedy satire shows that think they're in opposition to what's going on when it is absolutely what the system calls for. A system which I think like a culture built on satire, unsurprisingly, g- rose up a giant I thing know, to satire. Like, I oh, know. It, it, this is what it wants. I know. It this, wants this, this supports the Comedy Central model of reality. Exactly. It supports the Twitter reality, which is like people are tweeting more than ever. Like we, we, we want a culture where if everything's okay. I think the problem with Hillary more than anything was she was boring. Right. That was it. He was not boring. And we would so much rather be wide-eyed as the world burns than, you know, I know. sleepy and, as, as, is, as with greenery around us. And this is the problem when the culture industry and, I, and I politics— prob- I'm probably the same. Yeah, but the culture industry and politics became the same thing. Yes. You know, so it's, whether it was American Idol or reality TV mm. or the crossover. So when, when even, you know, John F. Kennedy Jr., before your time in the 90s, he wanted to do this magazine. I think he started called George. Right, right. And it was like, what is he doing? But yeah. Because it was like the Vanity Fair of politics. Yeah, but he yeah. did foresee that if politics became cool or trendy or something, I mean, even Rachel Maddow, bless her heart, right, right. if she's got nothing to rail against, yes, there's no yes, ratings. Yes. But it's also not... It's everything. It's not just culture and politics. It's culture, politics, family, friends, 
and the, there's all existing on the exact same plane, exact same conversation, level of analysis, attention, and it and it is perfectly expressed by your Twitter feed, by your Instagram feed. You scroll through that thing, and in no particular order, you will see your mother, your friend from college, the president of the United States, McDonald's, and it's all existing not only in you know one place, but also on this tiny little thing. I also think like the size of the screen yeah. isn't talked about in, uh, enough in terms of how we feel about it. Like, of course, we hate our friends and our lives on this little stupid thing in front of us, and that is to me the power of yeah. a movie and why a movie is actually important. It's like very pathetic that the only place that we put down our little screens is the only place we can get people <laughs> to put down their little screens is the big screen. But like, at least it's a big screen. You know, but, Gloria but Swanson would have said, you know. No, whatever. They, the screens are getting smaller. But it's important yeah. to me that you see, like, a for my movie, a 13-year-old girl story bigger than you, that you are humbled mm. before something that is human, that it is very humbling to be before a large image. And when all those human stories are now just going to television, it's like, no, it's very significant that we say that also there is something epic about this, the human condition as uh, held within a, you know, a, a small girl story, but 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 yeah, but you know what I mean about the feed. I, f- I feel like that is like, it's all. It's not just culture and politics that's melded now. It's literally like, it's literally everything. It's it's really, it's the, strange. The weird thing that happens to me though, and you talk about it in, in one of the shows. You know, when I watch a movie and it is bigger than life, and I am following these characters, I almost surrender to the filmmaker for. Uh, uh, you criticize it is that uh, you know listening to Katy Perry lyrics for uh, mm. for uh, you know I like what should Katy I do Perry. with my life yeah but I mean as a joke but I start to look at it as if the message of the movie is going to now teach me how to live you know so the answer of this girl what she decides should be my lesson on how to deal with my daughter and my wife right, and my right, career right, and right, everything right just, right right and I realize that me even I'm fifty something years old supposed to be smart guy still so desperate for just an answer yes, on how yes, to live yes. <laughs> yeah it's, it's well. That's what's so strange is like, you know, you've laid a really hard task before yourself, which is, I mean, you've been doing it for a long time, but like to, I, I, this is an interesting question for you. Does does your work to, I don't know, have a grasp of the current moment feel cumulative or does it feel like every fucking six months you have to like t- just write an entire new script? Does, it, do, you, do you notice a narrative? Do you notice a direction? Shocks. There are these gaps. It's like, you know, if you're, if you're, snowboarding and you hit an ice gap there'll mm. be this gap like trump is elected uh-oh what <laughs> now, now what does it mean yeah but then eventually i find powder again and it's like oh okay this is just a recapitulation of this thing okay. and all that so i do feel like there's been the 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 main battle for cyberspace since the beginning which reflects the battle for human consciousness you know between this this growth-based market thing that got started in the Renaissance and mm-hmm. all these folks are behind. Right. And this, you know, more of a kumbaya, let's be intimate with other humans thing. Yeah. But I am concerned. I'm I'm concerned about, you know, the survival of the species. It seems unless there was a real radical shift, which there could be, a whole lot of people Gonna, yeah, uh, are not good. I mean, I start looking at the wall they're building down in Mexico, and I realize, oh, that's not for immigrants. That's for climate change. That's for when they're all running up out of the right. desert that Brazil becomes, or right, whatever. Right. And and, th- and that's the truth is that like this entire, of course, like the entire conversation we're having, this entire problem is is a problem of 
privilege. Just a, such a, but man, first world problems got weird over the last 10 years, didn't they? <laughs> I'm saying first world problems, the joke used to be like, I have to pick up my, ca my cappuccino machine broke. And now it's like, I'm in a meta prison of my own mirrored image all the time. Right. I mean, it's like. Well, and that's just the psychological one. The other one that's coming to bite them in the ass or us in the ass is you can't. Once the world becomes too small, you can't externalize everything forever. All of those toxic waste heaps that we've been sending over to China or Brazil or somewhere else, they're here. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they're here. The people are angry. They're here. The angry people are here. Oh, man. But you can't just externalize forever, which is why, you know, and I just did this piece last week based on these, uh, I met these billionaires who were, uh, mm -hmm. I thought I was doing a talk, one of my regular talks, and it was just in this little green room, and oh, it was boy. five billionaires wanting to know Jesus. survival strategies for the apocalypse. Like, <sighs> so it ended up with the question of how do I maintain control of my security force after the event? Because they don't have money, and just, so, and they're just crazy, right? So these guys, and this is what I was trying to tell them: it's like you're you're on the wrong side of the insulation equation. You're trying to earn enough money so that you can insulate yourself yeah. from the world that you're creating by the making all the that earning. Money. Yeah, the earning is actually just <laughs> is getting is moving the date closer. I gotta tell you, Douglas, your joy is getting no less settling as you describe these things. <laughs> but but you know. So first I looked at it, I said, well, look, I started to think this when my daughter was like six or seven years old. I was like, well, look, even if the worst happens, she's gotten six or seven really interesting years of oh, life. God. It was yeah. better than not living at all. I'm not going to feel bad for bringing a human into the world when at least there was that experience. She played, she, and yes. she'll make it longer than that, I mean, before things come apart. But they're coming apart for real people right now. Yes, I mean, of, yes. the millions of immigrants sitting on, you know, on, on, in cities that are about to get covered with uh, uh, with water or whatever from mm. from rising rising tides and no one wanting to look at the the immediate short term low cost of moving people compared to the long term high cost of right. <laughs> immigrants coming when yeah. when you least expect it. So I don't know. I'm not I'm not optimistic, but I'm still hopeful. I'm still pushing. Uh, pushing hope. And and for me, it turned. I mean, you saw I did all these books, and they're all so facty. I mean, I found out yeah. facts and history. Yeah, 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 and yeah. now I'm back to, um, you know, back to the very beginning, my first kind of cyberdelic origins on we've got to change the way people understand the human story. It goes mm, back to mm, art and mm, narrative. Mm. I was a theater geek. I yeah, mean, yeah. So that's where, that's where, so now I'm going back to it, realizing I don't really have the technique for, for, but there For was a lot anymore. of that stuff. I, that, that is what I responded to in the books. I mean, that's yeah. what I felt from them. I felt that they were very deeply human and understood at least the value system of them seemed to be the way that they register on us personally. Right. I'm saying even throwing rocks at the Google bus, which seems like it ostensibly could be some giant sort of Post big economic thing. thing. Yeah. It was like, no, like the, the, the currency of, of, of the time being attention is very personal, right? you know, and that really thinks of like, oh, how much of my day, what is my free time? What is my attention? What is, oh, oh, this thing really is going after my conscious ex experience of the world. Right. That is so it deeply is troubling. to think, yeah. And, and no one thinks of it like that. But of course, when you describe it, it, it is so obvious right. that that is that what's That you happening. go back to the conquistadors were colonizing land. Yes. Yes. And now the new corporations are colonizing attention, you know, yeah. brain space, because that's the only... The Free space front. left, yeah. <laughs> Crazy. But it, I mean, it's it's a little scary, but I mean, but then you 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 go at it 
If you got this song, Kill Yourself. I sound unempathetic. I sound mean and rude. Suicide is an epidemic, and I don't want to be misconstrued. Signs of depression go overlooked. So if you're depressed, then you need to book a therapy session. Talk about your depression and let a professional hear it. But if you search for moral wisdom in Katy Perry's lyrics, then kill yourself. It won't be painful if you are able to give a little kiss to an oncoming train, you'll kill yourself. It's really almost the funniest part in that whole <laughs> in that whole show. But it seems to be that like, that's your marriage of the horror that you're feeling with the entertainment that you want to give. Right, you right. Know? And and I feel it. It's like you want to share your truth, but at the same time, these people have been working all day. They paid 30 bucks to get into this room. Are you just going to give them a bad trip? Oh, yeah. also, no, like, like I also, like, I want to make a show. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, like, want to make it fun. Like, right. I'd get, I would get bored as shit if I was doing that. Like, I like a show. I like it to be funny. I like it to be entertaining. Um, but yeah, what I was railing against for a long time was just like, I felt like, okay, I'm in a position of culture, so I need to just rail against what I think is bad culture. Right. Um, and I wasn't really being honest to the way I was feeling, but I was feeling like, okay, my job is to, and I like that, but the sort of tools I was using, satire and cynicism and sort of commentary for it, I, I just got exhausted with, and it was like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to do I'm going to work the other way. I've looked, I've been punching up for so long. Uh -huh. I'm going to like look to just portray down, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, it was a lot of going after, uh, yeah, I went after Jimmy Fallon a lot so I can, yeah. now I can't go on the Tonight Show to promote well, you my went movie. On, you went on Kimmel though. <laughs> I like Kimmel. Yeah. I, you know, like I really do like, Jim, Jimmy Kimmel to me appears to be a human being. Right. Which is like as much as you can ever ask. Well, because he gets to talk about medical stuff or something, you know. And he cries, you know, yeah. we, like which is like meaningful. And like everyone else is just seems, a lot of them seem like lizard people to me. And he cries, which is nice. Um you know? Right, he's not just mouthing lyrics of girl songs or whatever the uh, yeah. The well, it's do. just like and whatever, you know what I mean? And like, the, it's actually effective, and I like watch it and I laugh at this stuff. And I, I, it's not that I don't think Jimmy's a bad person. I, I, it's also like I'm a comedian. Everyone toughen up. Like we're, it's so stupid that it's like comedians are only supposed to make fun of like the people in our lives, and we're supposed to make fun of like every other job but ourselves. Like, of course I'm gonna make fun. Like I'm a comedian, so actually the thing I'm most qualified to do is make fun of other entertainers. So I make fun of them. Yeah. The Limpsick battle's stupid. Like, that's a, right. that's a, I mean, I can at least say that, right? And we can all not go crazy. And it's rehearsed. And I it's mean. just the most <laughs> incredible, like, version of backwash in ter terms of culture that we're like, we're literally getting celebrities to lip sync to other songs we know. It's like, it's just the most 2018 or 21st century weird meta version of non-entertainment as entertainment. But apparently it, 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 it's just so weird and strange. It's weird. And I always feel like there's some amount of ridicule under it all somewhere. There was this moment. But it's all tongue in cheek. Yeah. Like yeah. all entertainment is like failed not trying or like we're trying but not really wink, wink. It's all the – it's Deadpool too. Deadpool, Deadpool as well to me is this weird thing where it's like – it's like literally a billion-dollar corporation winking at you saying it's in on the joke and – I don't want my billion dollar corporations yeah. to like break the fourth wall. That just makes me feel sick to my stomach. <laughs> Some like Dada-esque fucking 
you know, two hundred million dollar movie. I don't like that shit. Right. That's for like mystery science theaters allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. But even so, it's like. But now it feels like we're doing mystery science theater on the mystery science theater, and when that right. stuff is thirty years old, you know, when Beavis and ButtHeads twenty, you know, and SNL is. David Foster Wallace wrote a lot about this. His like essay on in nineteen eighty nine, e, e unibum pluris, or yeah. something like that. It's all about sort of fiction writing and television, and really taking down like, or really, really going into irony and the sort of toxicity of irony and how it doesn't really mean anything anymore. You can go meta and once it's or twice. Thirty years old. Yeah. But then and eventually we're still doing you the get, same thing. Yeah, but I mean, kids in your movie, they they bond over Rick and Morty. Yes, and, and that's just genuine. And I don't right. even, I've never even seen Rick and Morty. You know, they go meta meta. Yeah, but that was the hope. Was yeah, to like go like it's actually it. And I don't care if in ten years people don't get the reference. It's not about the reference. It's right. about like the fact is like this weird. Yeah, exactly. That the meta, the most meta show in the world, these kids are having an emotional connection over it, and they're really just seeing that they're not alone in the world. So which that, is the main that, thing. It becomes the yeah. medium through which they bond to each other. Yes, Lateral. yes. And that is the beautiful thing about yeah. culture. And if it's if it's meta culture that gets us there, great. But what's important is the getting us there. Right. And sometimes meta culture can, and you actually see this like in a lot of the Rick and Morty fandom, <laughs> meta culture can, meta cultural pieces can encourage people to also be disassociative in their own life. And and and, and oh, oh, isn't everything bullshit? And isn't that cool? But you, you know what I'm saying? That, yeah. That, that you feel that. You can feel like, you know, where the cultural disposition is just like, man, everything is bull- bullshit, huh? So let's, uh, you know. Well, the, uh, the thing that you do, I mean, the thing that I want to learn. Trump fans are ironic, too. A lot of Trump fans. Oh, totally. A lot of Trump They get it. But they, that's they're the in thing. on the joke. He which, is joking a lot of the time. It is wink, wink. It's like, yes, I said this today, and I said that yesterday. Whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> it's like, so you're not going to do an ironic right. takedown of Trump. Right, you mean because that's working? Right, that's, his that's why game. he's That's why the thing that actually will work against Trump is true, is earnest, mm. is innocence. Mm. But and that's you know, and the thing that you did, and this is the part that I'm I'm confused about. I mean, I know uh, you know Citizen Kane, Orson Welles did when he's 24 or something. So you're young, you can do that. But you got moments like, and I'm like, it, no spoiler alerts because it's not a spoiler movie. Yeah, yeah, it's not um, a spoiler movie. There's like a moment where this kid, um, he has her over for lunch or dinner. And he tells her, you can pick any topping you want because I like them all. Yeah. So you can have whichever. Don't worry about using one that's my favorite. Such a human moment. It just makes me want to well up. That <laughs> yeah. is so human. So we're, we're, what's your process for deriving the reality of dialogue and situation, this almost Chekhovian you know, level reality? The initial impulse was um, watching those videos and transcribing them sound perfect, not just word perfect. You know what I mean? So the script really is written like, yeah, um, so the thing about being yourself is uh, right. like, ugh, I'm reading this off a piece of paper, you know? But also, I did a lot of acting when I was young and, you know. But it's like high school plays, right? Yeah, but I but I had Or like, did you go do summer no, 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 stock? No, 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 it was like, no, no, it was like high school plays and things. But I had, you know, learned from my theater teacher, you know, the greatest thing you can do for kids is give them ownership over it, empower them to, you know, be themselves and and a lot of it was empowering the kids to be inarticulate. There's a lot of kids want to show up into a movie and now I have to be in a movie so I have to talk like this. Right. And be. Well, they get disnified. Yeah. And the the you know being a kid is you just drank a glass of milk and now like you're talking like this. You like <laughs> can't form your words. You know. So that was a lot of it of just getting them comfortable and 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 that's actors in general having 
having feeling like you're in a safe space to fail because you need to be right on that edge to get anything spontaneous. Mm -hmm. It's the weird sort of oxymoron of like doing a film, which is you plan and budget and schedule to then get on the day and capture something spontaneous, which is all on the actors yeah. at the end of the day. So I like to think I'm a very much an actor's director and really just try to service them. Create that safe space for them to do. And know how to scene. agitate them and also like be in the scene with them. I feel like I have to kind of act in order to direct. Uh -huh. you know, I, I like really feel like I'm, I want to be like the little voice in, in their character's head and really be with them. Um, but at the same time, I mean, did you learn, you know, you know, axis and sh size of shot and, mm. and, but you didn't go to film school. You didn't go to USC to learn access. No, no. So how um, do you figure that out? Um, I, I think making things prepares you to make things, you know, across the board. Mm -hmm. So I had been on my own creative process and been screenwriting for a while and, you know, it filmed a few specials. I directed my specials and a couple other of other people's specials. And I had like, a, you know, eight months before this movie was made where, um, because we, we had to shoot it in the summer because of just budget issues. Um, so I like, you know, read a book a week and watched five movies a day. And I mean, I had been preparing right. in the years before then, but really like put myself through a crash course to do it. But also like it is a group effort. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, I didn't talk about it before. The other thing that's so striking in that movie is how much, how do you say better, how much classically prettier the girl looks when she's making her YouTubes than she does in real life. Well, She's yeah. She's done herself up. And it's the flat screen. It's the pixel, uh, right. the, 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 the digital blocking. I think it's uh -huh. blocking in streaming when that happens. But, you know, it smooths out the skin and, you know, everything, and it compresses everything. Because um, then you think some other girl is looking at her like, well, yeah, it's easier for her to say because she's so pretty yeah, and perfect. Yeah, yeah, right, right. You see her in real life, it's like, no, she's a regular person yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, because everybody looks so good on these things. You mm. know? And that's what's like crazy about like, and again, these are questions we don't ask. Like, we put a 40 millimeter lens on an iPhone and now kids can take beautiful compressed portraits of themselves. Right. Should they be able to? I mean, there's not even a mechanism to ask that question. The should right. question is just never introduced. I don't know what the solution is. Like, I think like, I certainly think women in tech will help. <laughs> like, yeah. I do think that's actually the major, like, that is why, just to, across the board, just diversify the tech community a little yeah. so... Because because they're making decisions about all of humanity, they probably should be representative of uh, at least some of all of humanity. Yeah, they're ready to scale at any moment, right? That is true. But like, how does that? How do you think? Is there any way to ask the should question for? Does that happen? It does. Well, to ask the should question, you have to pause long enough to ask it, and mm -hmm. pausing is itself seen as the enemy of the market. If yeah, you pause, pause then you the shouldn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you slowed it right. down. You know, and while you're pausing, someone else is getting to market. <laughs> right, right, right. But I've, that's my whole thing. Press pause is the whole present shock message. Press pause and be. I mean, and your movie does that too. It's like, you know, let's experience some life, you know, and that's what these, what, but I, it's funny, you know, the, the kids in the movie are so immersed in social media that you realize that they're not. Yeah. You know, yeah. that they actually do experience life. They, yes. It's just background. It's just like gravity or something. Exactly. Exactly. And it and, and for and for people older than me, it is it people in their 30s and things. It is this other thing, and so it becomes. I don't know. It's like it's like older people are smoking, and kids are just in smog. Yeah. You know I mean, just like in some smog city, right. they're probably both going to die early because of the effects of it. But you know, they're just living their life in Hong Kong. 
and yeah. instead of taking smoke breaks every two seconds. Well, yeah, but then as this stuff gets embedded in, in the environment, it'll be a little different again. Right, right, exactly. You don't go online. Right. It's just, oh, I'm going to use that last 10 minutes. Let me use that on my YouTube because it was already filmed by right, my over-the-shoulder right. <laughs> over drone. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and that's the interesting thing. Um, Sean Baker, who made The Florida Project, uh -huh. It's a pretty, in in theory, almost verite movie. You know, it's a very realistic movie, but it's all Steadicam, and that's a shift that's happening now, where people actually recognize Steadicam as realism because we have stabilization right. on most of our iPhone cameras. So the shaky sort of handheld camera that used to signify in movies realism and naturalism is actually going away. And people and younger generations are actually recognizing a stable image. A more So movies are naturalistic movies, which I think mine is, are able to be a little more traditionally cinematic and yet still feel real right. to people. You don't need that second camera person just whacking on the camera. Yeah, there. no, and that like actually feels incoherent to right. people now. It's funny because I feel like I'm I'm do, I do stand up. It's mm. basically my job. The books yeah. support my stand up career. It's yeah. like stand up philosophy or something or yeah. non non fiction stand up. Yes. But it's, it's yeah. I was a theater kid, and it, but the theater was just like I got so sick of it because the Aristotelian arc and the way all the endings and all. I got I got tired of, of theater itself as a form, and mm. only rich people could afford to go. Right, right, and right, it was right. All that. So this felt like it was and multimedia was such a cool story. I wanted to tell it. Right. But you know, in your in your stand up. In addition to like sharing that you've got anxiety, you're in pain at certain moments, and that there's this dynamic between pleasing them and expressing yourself, you said in one of those tracks, you said, and I'm, you said, I'm declining, mm, mm. and I kind of, it kind of worried me to think, well, declining like, like Freddie Prince declining, is like no, a no, comedian no, no. in trouble, and are you shouting for help? Yeah, David Foster Wallace. I mean, Spalding Gray. They all left us, you know? Yeah, no, I don't, I, no, I was really, I do not struggle with depression. I I don't have depression. I struggle with anxiety, and, and on the road, it was just a sort of crisis of that. I was having panic attacks on stage. Um, that stuff has subsided, and I did address it by sort of not doing stand-up for a while. I haven't done stand-up in a bit. But that was like, the pro The thing is, I also applied a theatrical principle to my honest confession as well mm -hmm. as my comedy, you know what I mean? Right. So I am leaning into that stuff to make it feel, you know, as hopefully visceral as it can. Um, but yeah, the, I, I feel good. And it, it, it really is me saying that out loud is is the best thing I could possibly do. The worry, Exercises. the people you really have to worry about, I think, are the people that are not expressing their feelings. Because um, that's what I was doing for a long time and it was not good. So being able to speak it out loud was very, very helpful. And also just to work with other people. I was just so tired of my own face and my own head and trying to express my feelings only through myself. And to be able to express myself not through other people but actually with other people was, like, absolutely incredible and yeah. meaningful. Well, that's the great thing about making a movie. I mean, mm. it's a team. That's why I started the team human thing was well, writing is lonely. I mean, there's a lot of yeah, books. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> there's a lot of words <laughs> yeah, sitting alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, this is not good for me on yeah. a certain, you know. So to do this was the idea. Let's have a team. Let me use the platform I've built so far to have other voices and mm. promote other people. You know, and that, it makes me happier. You know, and the obvious question, and I didn't see people asking it. You know, the, the, but the, the, the obvious question to ask after Make Happy is, is, you know, what now? What makes you most happy? It was this. I mean, it was this movie. I mean, also like my dog and my girlfriend or whatever. But yeah. like, it was this movie. It was going like... 
I'm just done with me for a little bit. I have to be. I have to think that I have something to say that is not necessarily only me, only about me. And I'm more interested in other people and other people's experiences. And it was this sort of revelation that I had at the end of Make Happy that led to this thing, which is that my my particular experience is not particular. I think it is actually like very, very common to my generation. And that like, yeah, that I that that being a performer, having a brand, being your own publicist, maintaining yourself out loud, um, is not unique to my circumstance. It can actually be seen in the regular life of any old thirteen year old girl just going through the world, and I actually found that it was actually more significant. And I felt like she was more me than I was. That she was. Um, Kind of the quintessence of what you were. Yes, exactly. She's living it purely. She's engaging with it purely and actually genuinely, as opposed to me, who's a little disaffected and thinking about it too much and also has taxes and an adult. Well, and you got your audience. Once you had the audience, it changes. Yeah, it's, it's much it less exciting. It, 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 that, the unknowability of who's seeing it and who is watching you is actually so much more beautiful and and... Actually, narrative. It's, it's it's the correct choice. God's not supposed to show up and say, I'm real. Now, you know what I mean? It's, it's not supposed to happen. Right. I mean, the other thing that, that makes... it's like prayer. Her vlogs are like prayer to me a little. Huh. Well, right. And she does pray. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah, she closes her laptop and prays. Yeah. But it's like... <laughs> but I think she's, you know, she. I think she was praying the whole time. Right. Or it's almost... I mean, I looked at it almost like sort of like new age affirmations. Yeah, yeah. A little, uh, a little odd, like out loud vision boarding too. A little Tony Robbins, right. all that but stuff. But then, then in another positive way than YouTube, if kids are doing that, if rather than, you know, putting on a fart mask or something to get a lot of likes. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, eating or, peppers till they yeah. puke, yeah. Right. I mean, well, your work, your your comedy also, you, you got a following without resorting to... You know, the mm. antics. You weren't, you know, slapping asses and, you know, <laughs> like my poor little kid, uh, uh, baby scumbag, this uh, uh, skateboarder who found out he got a whole lot more uh, uh, views. He's a little, you know, 14-year-old kid, but, he, you know, slapping asses on the screen, he got right. way more likes than yeah. uh, than the show. You, you did the show, you know. And, but the antics of today are the, you know standard of tomorrow. I'm saying at some point, you know, doing comedy was the antic and the real seriousness was whatever. So maybe in 30 years, it'll be like, and you got it done it the real way. You were slapping asses instead of these, <laughs> instead of these awful kids who were selling out doing all right. this. Right. You, you know? remember that quaint videos, videos you used to make of yourself vomiting? <laughs> yeah. God, remember, those remember, were the good old days. Yeah, remember when there was integrity? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. I should let you live, live your life well, this was really enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate I want, your time. I hope, hope we could be friends. Yes, I hope. <laughs> but yeah, I hope we can run into each other more. And do, and I'd love to do more. Or if you need a, a media theorist for a cameo. Yeah. I have a SAG card. Yeah. Do you? <laughs> eighth grade. Eighth grade. The movie's called Eighth Grade. You've been on Team Human. Our guest today was Bo Burnham, whose new movie, Eighth Grade, is playing right now at a theater near you. Bo Burnham is a member of Team Human, and you can be too, by going to teamhuman.fm and clicking on support. Get a signed copy of Team Human the moment it's released, premium content, and the opportunity to take part behind the scenes are on the show. Next week, my Team Human live conversation with Parker Posey. You're on Team Human, our last best hope for peeps.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.